We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast and our 400th show. Our 400th podcast, Chris. It's amazing that we've I've not killed you by now. 400 podcast episodes spanning more than 500 hours of audio when you factor in all the two-hour marathons that we've yeah. taken our poor we've had a couple two and a half poor listeners on um <clears throat> i mean that's why we used to joke around that we were the joe rogan of uh bill's podcasting because we were just like screw it if we want to go for two and a half hours that's what we're going to do and you guys are just you can choose when to turn it off <laughs> So what? How many years now? Started in June of fifteen was our. We did a, a couple of tests over the summer, and then September fifteen went live. Put it out on the internet for all you assholes. So going on seven years, more than f- so four hundred episodes, more than seven years, more than five hundred hours of podcast recording. We've recorded in how many different places during that time span? Uh, we started in my kitchen of your old apartment in Depew. Then we moved to your kitchen. Yeah, which I separating from my wife that just did not register in my head that I'm getting my own place. We'll just record the podcast at my place. I don't know why my brain didn't think of that. You kept just packing like, up your car and yeah, driving to my house. I would with a whole computer. I would. Bring everything to Drew's. A whole desktop computer. I had a duffel bag. I had everything together. He would show up at my house with his entire desktop computer in tow and set it up at my kitchen table. Hilarious. Yeah. That was dedication. Yeah, it was. Now we have a way better setup. Look at this. We're going to have a way better setup because we're moving to our third location because I'm moving in with my girlfriend. And that better be the last one. 
We hope so. You better make that last for a while. Yeah, we'll have a whole studio room in the basement. You know what I'm excited With for? With a green room. Oh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a green room. <sighs> what I'm excited for moving in with my girlfriend when it comes to the podcast we're recording in the basement it's gonna be cool there all year round no hot summers in the kitchen yeah next to the window i look forward to that i look forward to not having to yell at your neighbors although i don't know the jury's out i might still yell at them yeah new neighbors but they still might get the drew gear treatment i can't wait yeah as i'm riding a bicycle because that's how close it'll be to my house. Yeah, well, I'm going to be. This is the best. I'm going to be closer to, to Drew and my girlfriend and I, or it's really Jessica, is already canvassing houses that go up for sale in the neighborhood, specifically so my wife and I can move in. Yeah, there's one that came up this week that is down the on our street, like six houses down. And your wife had texted my girlfriend, just have Chris rollerblade out there for weeks on end. Shirtless. Yeah. Until they until Until, they decide not to buy until the you know, so no one buys the house. Yeah. Almost like uh in uh Step Brothers when they keep deterring the people from buying their parents' house. Yeah. We we looked at the I don't know if you saw the house on Zillow. It has a bar in the basement. I'll I'll say this, Chris. It 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 has a Poinciana bar in the basement. Sitting here talking to you about this. And maybe our listeners will pro- this will resonate with them, maybe more so than you because you're emotionally dead inside. Very dead inside. <clears throat> Think about how far we've come across 400 episodes of podcasting. I want you to. I want to. In, in the words of Wayne from Letterkenny, I want let that one marinate. Okay, as we go through this podcast. Think about how far we've come personally, professionally as podcasters. Is it's wild. But for for tonight, the theme of tonight's show is we're going around the AFC East, getting you know we already recorded our you know you probably already listened to our free agency reaction podcast with Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings. But it's always worth getting everybody else's opinion to see where the rest of the division feels like they stack up after their own crack at free agency, and so it's with that that we turn to our usual get you know, our usual suspects. To see how they feel about their team's new standing after this early wave of free agency. So we kick this off with the New York Jets, who finished fourth in the AFC East with a 4-13 and record. I think what we learned this year, Chris, is that it's never easy to take a team that finished 31st in the NFL a year prior and make an immediate winner out of it. We saw that play out for the Jets in 2021. Their team selected the quarterback of the future, or at least they hope, in Zach Wilson. And then they went on to, I don't know what, double last season's win total. And they put up some really dubious stats behind a roster that was lacking in a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. That 21st in the NFL in completed air yards, 25th in yards after contact on the, on the ground, and 27th in total rushing yards, and the 32nd ranked defense in terms of overall yardage. Now... They go into this offseason armed with the second most cap space in the NFL, and they're getting a number of players back t- back from injury, including what was the preeminent UFA signing of 2020 or 2021, which was Carl Lawson. The Jets are kind of hoping that they can parlay a lot of this stuff into taking a much larger step forward in 2022. And this free agency period is their first crack at developing the roster into that. 
it just it I don't, like as an outsider, I don't know how well that's going. So I'd like to get I'd like to get some feedback straight from the horse's mouth on the topic. For that, we bring the horse's ass. <laughs> and for that, oh. we bring in Jets podcaster extraordinaire, Mr. Scott Mason. How are you? Well, thanks a lot, Chris, for calling me a horse's ass. Really appreciate that. Yeah, one. right. He brings he brings you in with an insult. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> How very uh, Scott Hall like of you to start this show where we're gonna at some point pay tribute to the bad guy. You have to, right? But before we do, I want to talk about how bad things are in New York because I'll say this: if for anybody who's actually been like checking out the content over at Play Like a Jet, which listen. The reason we have Scott here is because we love his work and his work ethic and just the content that they're constantly grinding out over there. You guys are covering all the facets of the Jets free agency period. And just between what you guys have put out and what I've seen on Twitter from Jets fans, it it doesn't seem to be going as well as you guys would have hoped, or at least it doesn't seem like there's as much activity as you guys would have hoped. Is that fair to say? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think there's been some disappointment but in some areas. But I think overall, the, the general consensus seems to be, other than the people that are always negative Nellies and the people that are always trying to put a positive spin on everything, is that Joe Douglas has done fairly well in free agency. He improved some much-needed areas of improvement. The The issue for me at the moment is, and we'll get into this in a little bit, I really felt like they needed to get a number one-ish type of wide receiver. And look, they still maybe pull off a trade for him for somebody like that. You never know. Um, they didn't get Amari Cooper, which I was annoyed about, and I had many Twitter fights about that one. Uh, they Obviously, Calvin Ridley became impossible once he got suspended. Uh, they were apparently inquiring about him. They didn't go... After Allen Robinson, who ended up on the Rams like everybody else, apparently, um, there's I'm not sure who else is going to be available in trades. There's talk of Tyler Lockett and there's talk of Brandon Cooks. Either one of those guys would be fine. But as far as the rest of the improvements, I mean, look, they went and got Lake and Tomlinson, a Pro Bowl caliber guard who knows the system and is good leader. Well, I was going to ask I you, I, I, I was going to, that's what I was going to ask, because when you look at the needs, you guys had some specific ones, linebacker, wide receiver, and interior offensive line were probably some of the biggest, especially if you're trying, wide receiver and interior offensive line might be the biggest if you're talking about trying to give a young quarterback some confidence. Chris, you and I lived through what was a 2018 season where Josh Allen got handed. You made the analogy. They basically handed our offensive coordinator and Josh Allen said, look, we want you to make chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, so the Pagoules wanted. We want you, we want you Brian Daybold, to make cookies. And he's like, all right, well, this is the stuff I need. And then the Pagoules hand them Josh Allen a bag of chocolate chips. So I need other things. I need the flour and the brown sugar. No. <laughs> you get chocolate chips. This is all Figure you get. Out, Make cookies. Well, I I can't. I don't have the things that I need. And that's what the Jets offense was last year. Was just this collection of players where you go, "Okay, we've invested a little bit. We've got some bodies, but we don't have help in the key places. We have an interior offensive line that's still trying to find its way. It's got some bright spots. We've got some spots in the offensive line that we've invested in, like the Mackay Beckton's and the and you found that there were some nice pieces in there. George Fant actually ended up not being terrible 
role. Uh, you, you guys look at Elijah Vera Tucker, who was kind of coming along. He had up and ups and downs like every rookie does, but he was a step up from what you had prior. But really, like like with Josh Allen, that 2018 season, he wasn't nearly as productive as you would have liked. Then they rebuilt the offensive line, interior and guards, in front of him, and you watched him take another step the following season. The Jets are at least, looks like, leaning in that direction. And the Lake and Tomlinson thing, I mean, it, that has to be your favorite signing this period, right? Yeah, that was a good sign. Look, I think overall most of the signings were good. They went out and they got C.G. Ozama. They went out and they got Tyler Conklin, two capable tight ends. Neither one of them is a star by any stretch, but they're at least reasonably capable starting tight ends, which is well above what they had had over the last couple of years. Tomlinson was a really nice addition on the offensive line. You look on the defensive side of the ball, DJ Reed, who I think is probably one of the more underrated corners in the league, played very, very well for Seattle last year. Robert Sala was in the draft room in 2018 in San Francisco when they picked him in the fifth round. He wound up on waivers, ended up in Seattle, had a nice year. He's undersized, but really should be a a major upgrade in that secondary. They went and they got Jordan Whitehead, a nice, strong safety. So so those were the big moves, and, and they're all good moves. I think they improved the team. Look, especially in the secondary, if we're being honest, and you guys saw this twice when the Jets played the Bills. The Jets had, at most, one somewhat starting caliber player in the secondary last year, Bryce Hall, and even that is debatable. They had the worst cornerback group and the worst safety group in the NFL, and you had a lot of Jets fans that were saying, oh, well, they definitely need to upgrade safety, but they're fine at corner. And I never understood what the heck they were talking about. And then there was this talking point that apparently Robert Sala's scheme doesn't value big-time corner play, which is ridiculous because every single scheme requires big-time corner play. This is 2022. I'll say this for for the Jets fans listening right now, I will say this. I hear some of that, we do, Chris, from Bills fans when they go – you know, you see half the fan base say, well, how come we never, you know, some of the more prominent podcasters who like to cry about not getting cornerbacks every year, even though they have their heart set on it. And they say, well, if we could just get another premier corner and they say, no, 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 we don't need it. We can get by with the Dane Jacksons of the world, yeah. which not for nothing. We almost went to a Super Bowl with Dane Jackson as our CB, too. But it was like a seventh round draft pick. But right, if you had is, better corner play, maybe they wouldn't have given up all those yards and, and scores to the Chiefs in well, that game, and the Bills sure. would have but, but actually I think the, won. But, but so, so, so the overarching point here is that it's easy to sit here as a fan base and go, wow, we don't need to prioritize cornerback. We don't need to prioritize cornerback. But, but, yeah, because we have all-pro safety play, and we have one of the best cover corners in the NFL. When you right. have three of those guys on the field, you're right. Well, although the other, Trey White wasn't healthy last year, but yeah. Well, the, well, that was it. After the Trey White injury, our defense didn't, but, but we still maintained relatively well, even without him. Because, because our, after that game, the only quarterback we played the rest of the regular season was Brady. Yeah, like that was it. He was the only other legitimate quarterback. So you can mm-hmm. get away with that. Unfortunately, right. like that's... You can't. You have to have something. You have to have. Right. Hey, hey! Both of my safeties are all pros or a Pro Bowl caliber. Or okay, I can get away with not prioritizing cornerback play at my slot position because I have one of the best guys in the country on the outside. Like right. you have right. to have something. And the Jets, to your point, were kind of a just 
it, it was a, a no man's land. Yeah. yeah, and you and you heard a lot of people say, "Oh, they're going to go with the young kids." This and that. They could not. No one. I remember uh, a beat reporter telling me that I won't say who, but his name right might rhyme with Miss Limbley. Um, <laughs> I kid the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. But yeah, he said to me something like, "Oh, they're not going to make an investment in cornerback. They're happy with what they have." I'm like, Chris. Uh, you, you got you can't possibly believe that. And if Robert Sala believes that, then he's nowhere near the defensive genius that, that we were making him out to be because they had the worst cornerbacks in the NFL and the worst safeties. And, yeah, you can improve the safeties. But unless you're like you said, if you're going to have Hyde and Poyer, maybe you can get away with a little bit weaker cornerback play. But you still need good cornerbacks because, as you said, without Trey White, Look at what happened against Kansas City. So I'm glad that they brought in DJ Reed, who will help, certainly. Jordan Whitehead will help, although you guys, we all had a laugh about this. We were talking about this uh, a day or two ago where people were suggesting, and Jordan Whitehead even retweeted it, that he could be the Josh Allen stopper, which is ridiculous because <laughs> Josh Allen's got about 50 pounds on Jordan Whitehead. And I'm, Dude, when I I'm saw not saying Jordan tweet, Whitehead won't help, but when he's I saw not going to stop Josh Allen. Somebody tweets out. Oh my God! Like, look at how good he is on taking on running quarterbacks and quarterback motion and running backs out of the backfield. We may have found our quote unquote Josh Allen stopper. It, that that tweet was a stopper. It stopped me in my tracks because there was right. like, how how I, I, it almost made me think. And this, I'm not trying to punch down. I'm not trying to be mean here, Scott. But it legitimately made me think of all the years. And Chris, you can echo this. Every year when we would go out in free agency and sign somebody and go, all right, this is the signing that's going to be the one that stops Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> this is going to be the reason Tom Brady doesn't rain hellfire down on top of us this year. And then it wouldn't matter. It, he would do it anyway. We were we, like that we, when we got Mark Anderson. We built the cold front. And we said, okay, we have the most ferocious front four in the NFL. We are going to dominate Tom Brady. He will not beat us this time. And he danced all over us. It was terrible. Yeah. It was because <laughs> at the end of the day, he's Tom Brady. Yeah. No. Listen, man. I mean, I think what it comes down to is the Jets improved. One thing that I really wanted to see, and and we, Drew, you're a big chart guy, so you understand the data and how this works. And you guys both saw this up close in Buffalo. I really wanted, as I said, the Jets to get a number one ish wide receiver to to really accelerate. Zach Wilson's development because yes he did play better down the stretch especially that game against Tampa but he didn't like the world on fire he finished the season overall fairly poor I mean nine touchdown passes and 11 interceptions he had a bad rookie year overall it wasn't good I mean yes he was better the last few games but still he wasn't great and he needs the help now I mean look at what the Bills did with Stefan Diggs. I'm not suggesting the Jets are going to get somebody as good as Stefan Diggs, but you could list numerous examples. And I've talked about this article many times, but Tommy Griffin Krantz wrote a great piece over at playlikeajet.com. I highly recommend it. It's about why it's important to have that veteran number one type wide receiver. And it lists numerous examples of times when a guy like that was brought in for a young developing quarterback and it paid dividends immediately. Whereas if you draft a, a wide receiver, there were, there've been 40 receivers drafted in the top two rounds, the last four drafts, only four of them had a thousand yards their first season. Now, many of them went on to be very, very good. But the point is, you need somebody that can come in and help lift this kid now. I'm in no mood 
to watch this turn into a Sam Darnold situation. That's not to say that Darnold would have been awesome if they had gotten him a great receiver, but you, it really would have helped to find out earlier what he was capable of and whether he could make that jump. And I think the Jets really needed to do that because, first of all, as far as the wide receivers in this draft, I don't really think any of them are worth the number 10 overall pick. And you have the opportunity to get a, a top-notch corner and a top-notch edge rusher with those top 10 picks. And those are tough positions to fill. But also, like, even if you get a really good receiver, whatever pick it is, whether it's 35, 10, 38, 69, that guy could take a little bit of time to develop, whether it's a full season or much of a season. And the Jets really need to accelerate Wilson's development immediately. They, they need to know what they've got. They need to push him in the right direction. They need to get him to the maximum of his capability. And you're much more likely to be able to do that by bringing in a guy like Amari Cooper or an Allen Robinson or somebody rather than drafting a rookie and relying on him. And I, look, I love Elijah Moore. I think he has a chance to be a number one wide, wide receiver uh, with time. Corey Davis is okay. It, wide receiver is not the biggest need, but I really think that accelerating Wilson's development is important. You guys saw what it did for, for Allen. Uh, look at what happened. With, now, granted, some of these quarterbacks ended up regressing at some point, but look at what all Sean Jeffrey did for Carson Wentz in that season where the where Philly ended up going to the Super Bowl. Wentz got hurt, but he was still uh, took an enormous leap. Uh, you look at what Amari Cooper did for Zach Prescott for as an example – digs with Josh Allen. There are a ton of different examples of this work. And it was San Antonio Holmes in 2010 with Mark Sanchez. So I just felt like that's one area where I wish they would have been more aggressive. Maybe they still make a trade or something. I don't know. But overall, I thought they did reasonably well in free agency. I don't think it's enough to move the needle. I still think they're the worst team in the division. <clears throat> and I think that in order for that to change or even have a chance to change, Joe Douglas is going to have to have a really, really strong draft class. I mean, that's all there is to it. That was going to be my question was, do you think that this free agent class set you up well enough in the ahead of the draft that you think it moves the needle in terms of maybe changing your slotting in the division as it finished last year? But it already sounds like I know the answer to that. Um, because there's well, just too true. much. Because I mean, it really too, depends on what happens in the draft, right? Like, but now you're banking on the draft. Yeah, it's yeah, like hey, have, we, yeah, we blew and, and our granted, shot at some I of get, the most impactful things here. Not blew it, but it didn't materialize for us. That doesn't mean your GM didn't try. But we couldn't get the wide receiver piece to fall into place, and that was a big one. So now we're kind of pigeonholed into attacking this in the draft. I mean, Cole I, Beasley's available. You want him? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say. I'll say this. The. Uh, like that's been a thing of our GM is to go out and say, look, maybe the guys I'm getting at all these various positions aren't stars, but when he was building this roster into what it currently is, the biggest thing that he would do ahead of those drafts is that he would make sure that we were never pigeonholed into having to having a glaring need. He would find right. enough depth so that he could let the strength of the board just kind of bring him best player available. And I think that's what Joe Douglas has tried to do for the yes. most part. The The only thing that I wonder is, and I was talking to a friend of mine who covers the Colts, and it's a similar thing with Chris Ballard. I feel like sometimes it's okay to get a little extra aggressive to make a move for a difference maker that you feel you really need. And I'll give you one example. Marcus Williams, he ended up going to the Ravens, right? I think it was five years, 70 million. The Jets were apparently interested, but they didn't top that offer. 
and I know that, that people say, oh, but if they had gotten him, they wouldn't be. But like, really what it comes down to is, do you want to spend that money on like two or three role players? Or do you want to get a guy that can instantly make a difference, maybe change the culture around the team, that kind of thing. And, and that was sort of my point with Amari Cooper, where he has one year at $20 million guaranteed left after that it's two years at 20 per and it's a wait and see maybe you try to restructure whatever but even if you bring him in for one year what what he could potentially do for zach wilson i thought was well worth it and i think the browns will see what happens there because it's a mess in other ways but he for a fifth round pick to me was a bargain for the browns oh for and sure i'm curious to see who ends up playing quarterback there if it's Mayfield or somebody else. But that's just my, my thing with Wilson. And I think ultimately, Drew, if they have a really good draft and Wilson takes a big leap forward, then maybe they're not the Latin, they're they're not last in the division. I still think the odds are strong that they will be, just because look at how far away they were before the offseason and think about the fact that other teams in the division have improved. I mean, look at what the Bills did with Von Miller and well, players. That was like going to be my point before we kind of wrap this whole thing. That was going to be yeah. my point to you is that we here as Bills fans have been complaining about that with Brandon Bean, not having a sense of urgency. But his patience paid off and he built the roster that he built. And now he's showing us that he does indeed have that second gear that some of us were beginning to question that he lacked in terms right. of his aggressiveness. I wouldn't discount Joe Douglas yet, but it is worth questioning if I'm a fan that like, hey, you need to see the urgency of this rebuild now. Yeah. Before and, we and let I mean, you, listen, before, I get that he stepped into a messy situation, but ultimately what it comes down to since he's had full control of the roster, the team is six and 27. They have a quarterback going into his second year who really struggle as a rookie. If they go five and 12 this year or something, and Wilson doesn't at least get to be like middle of the pack level good. All of a sudden you got to start wondering, okay, is this guy really the answer? Joe Douglas going forward. I know a lot of jets fans love him right now, but I think it's, it's all a matter of, and Drew, we've talked about this before. I think two things. Number one, the the low bar that was set because of how bad Joe Douglas's predecessors were. So if he has a draft that produces like more than one good player, it's like a really big deal to people. But the other thing is, I think we tend to see things as fans, A, through best case scenario, and B, only looking at it through the lens of the team that we follow. So for example, okay, Bryce Hall and, and Brandon Eccles, you watch them play in the, in the defensive backfield and you say, oh, those guys aren't bad, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now compare them to the defensive backfields that every other team in the league has. When you do that, then you realize, oh, actually, they're worse than pretty much everybody. And when you talk about the Jets making improvements in the offseason, you say, oh, the Jets, they added a legit corner, a legit safety. They added two fairly decent tight ends and a pretty good and a really good guard in Lakin Tomlinson, right? But then you also have to look at, A, how far away they were from the other teams in the division in the first place, and B, the improvements that the other teams in the division have sure. made. Because just because the Jets made improvements doesn't mean everybody else no, is standing still. Well, yeah, still, nobody stands still, and it's static from year to mm -hmm. year. So I, it'll be interesting to see where things finish out. But yep. as we close this, 
wrestling has become comedy fodder in our podcast. <laughs> our, our listeners get, are now like they're taking a huge kick out of the fact that I can't stand the wrestling conversation. And over the last week, Chris has managed to really kind of work it into the zeitgeist of our podcast. We had two guests on last week and I made a wrestling ref- reference and he laughed so hard like it peaked out the decibels and then our recording programs just shut down like <laughs> we can't handle the amount of decibels coming in shut it down and and he slides these things in like that's the thing like he starts he's been he's begun tricking me with wrestling references that's how bad it's gotten here <laughs> but what i need people to understand is that i too have an affinity from wrestling that goes back to my childhood and this week we got some very and that's why i figured this was a nice thing to talk about with you since you are kind of you were the first guest we ever had that liked talking about wrestling that got chris on this this wrestling kick is your fault sir i'm, I'm willing to blame you <laughs> The wrestling world lost a great this week. Um, Mr. Scott Hall, the uh, what are all the various names he wrestled under? Big Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. That's really it. Uh, the Diamond Stud. The Diamond Stud, yeah. <laughs> the, diamond the Diamond Mine. Stud. The, the, the Diamond Mine, what? That was his stable. Oh, my God. There was, this, there was something called the Diamond, the diamond Mine. Yeah, Kevin Nash was in it, too. Oh my diamond God. Dallas Page. Yep. Oh, my God. Do you know how sad this makes me, like, knowing this? I'm finding out more embarrassing things than I thought I already knew. (laughs) But Scott Hall passed away this week, and that one stands out to me because, I don't know, he was, Chris, would you say he was important to wrestling? He's very important with two things. The Razor Ramon character, when he pitched it, you'll love this, because I can't wait to hear your reaction. He pitched the idea to Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon, Razor Ramon, Essentially, is Tony Montana from The Godfather. From The Godfather, because you don't watch movies. You mean Tony Montana from Scarface? Scarface. Well, I don't know. Whatever gangster (laughs) movie it is. Because this is the point. Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson thought that was just an original idea. They never heard of the movie. Not only did they not see it, they had never heard of the movie. So they thought Scott Hall was bringing an original idea. He wasn't ripping it off a movie. <laughs> and then Scott Hall also credited for um, altering Sting's career with the, the crow black and white face paint and growing his hair long. That was a Scott Hall idea. Well, and also let's not forget, Chris, the fact that the NWO changed the landscape and he was the first guy to come out on Monday Nitro and start the angle and get it and get it going. So, yeah, he, he was very important in wrestling history. And I also think that he's an inspirational character when you think about him, not, not just the wrestler, but the man. I mean, he you're talking about a guy who because I'm always interested to learn more about the people. Well, not so much like away from the characters. Scott Hall, it's it's widely known that he battled addictions. He his personal life was a train wreck. Yeah. And yet he found a way to clean himself up and pick himself up and put himself back together and start reconciling. And it's it's inspirational to anybody who's ever walked that road where you're like, wait, so you mean to tell me that I could be this bad and I can still find redemption, that I can still find my way back no matter how hard things get. And I think that that's something that I mean, people talk, people can find inspiration anywhere, but... I think that's one of the things that I'll like always remember about Scott Hall is that next is the Razor Ramon character, which as a child got toothpicks banned from my house for a while <laughs> because I flicked one of the younger brother and my because I saw him do it and my mom lost her mind. But this concept that it's like 
it doesn't matter how far gone you are. If you start making steps in the right direction, you can eventually turn it around. And so it's with that that I want to close your segment here with uh, part of his speech from his retirement. I think it was his Wrestling Hall of Fame induction speech. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the Dolphins, who finished third in the AFC East last year with a 9-8 record. And Chris, they're a team that's undergoing major changes after another disappointing season and yet another swap at the head coach position. I mean, 2021 was supposed to be a year of growth for the Miami Dolphins. It was supposed to be, okay, we got so close that we could taste it last year. This is the year we kicked the door down. And I don't know. (laughs) The the, the demoralizing win and in-loss was supposed to propel them forward. And instead, their entire season was derailed by injuries. I mean, the biggest was doled out by our own Buffalo Bills. And just kind of offensive ineptitude that blanketed the entirety of their season. And when you look at some of the fine numbers, Tua had 43 hurries, 24 knockdowns, and 20 sacks in just 13 games. They were 29th in the NFL in rushing rushing yards before contact, which tells you everything you need to know about their blocking. They were 10th in the AFC in touchdowns scored. Out of 16 teams, that's not good. So now they're looking at another reboot under a new head coach who's kind of invigorated the fan base a little bit. It seems like he's got a mission in front of him to get the best out of their quarterback, put him in advantageous situations by building out a an offensive scheme that pressures defenses in ways that their previous schemes just couldn't because nobody even knew who was calling the plays. But they've got their work cut out for them, and it start in terms of roster building and figuring out how they're going to do that. And it starts here in free agency. And to talk about it, Mr. Elfar Tiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. How are you, sir? Ah, oh, doing great, kicking ass. <laughs> That's th- this is one of the things. I, I f- and you guys have been doing a great job over at Three Yards Per Carry covering this. But first of all, your fan base remains. And I say this now after having done this, what, this is our second going on to our third year of the AFC's Roundup shows, Chris? Yeah. Okay. This will be three. This will be three. Going on year three of kind of really paying attention to other teams' fan bases and their social media activity, Dolphins' Twitter is wild. Your fan base, Bill's fans are known for just their passion for their team. 
your fans are passionate about everything, whether it's their team, their disdain for the team, their sense of we don't even know what the hell's going on, but we feel strongly about our confusion. Like it's it's something to see, man. <laughs> What's the state of the uh, fan base today? <laughs> What's the it's state absolutely of- <laughs> insane. My my favorite is the is the tweet that uh, usually goes out that says, uh, you know. Uh, Chris Greer's completely asleep and he hasn't done anything. And then somebody just responds. He's re-signed eight of our own free agents and then added four more. <laughs> so. well, that, that, that's a, I, earlier today, I saw a picture. It was of a guy this is from like New York City of a guy in a suit passed out sleeping or possibly intoxicated on a subway. And someone was like, oh, look, I found Chris Greer. And I don't know why that I, it tickled me. It really did. Because your fan base, the more hyperbolic section of it, really seems to have this idea that he's not doing anything. But out of all the teams in the AFCs that's not our own, I really like what the Dolphins have done. When you take a look at it, you you bring back your own, right, in uh, Emmanuel Agba. You brought back a number of your own players. And the signings that you're making aren't splashy. But, I mean, after years of trying to make splashy signings, You'd think that they'd have learned that that's not what gets you. That's not what's going to get you to the promised land, guys. I mean, you guys had needs across the board, skill positions, wide receiver, and running back, uh, in the trenches, an offensive line, an offensive tackle. The, your offense needs a facelift, and the moves that he's making, the, Connor Williams. I know that that one got panned. How do you feel about it? Oh, I like everything that they've done so far. They just gotta they gotta top it off by you know getting one of these tackles. That are still out there, like all the tackles that they could have gotten. Like I had really little to no interest in in Moses, Morgan Moses, or Tom Compton. Uh, Tom Compton would have been like fifth or sixth on my list. Uh, Leo Collins is still there. Dwayne Brown is still there. Teron Armstead is still there. Those are the big ticket items, and that's what they should be concentrating on. J.C. Treader is there as well, who's a, who's a really good center. So you know everything's in front of them. Bradley Bozeman is still out there. So, you know, if if they could top it off with one of those tackles, I don't know how you would call anything other than call this anything other than a, a home run offseason so far, at well, least. Yeah, because they haven't overspent. That's the one thing I like about this is that like, I mean, there were some people in the Bills fan base who saw the Emmanuel Agba contract and went, whoa, that's too rich for my blood. But that's hilarious to me because isn't that kind of the uh that's kind of every fan base's MO for free agency. I saw a tweet from our local radio station, WGR 550's uh, Jeremy White, where he made a flow chart. And it was just like, hey, this is how free agency works, guys. It's like fans, it's like a bucket of talented players. Player signs with your team. I love it. Player doesn't sign with your team. Quote, unquote, not for that money. <laughs> it's like that's that's kind of how this goes. I was a great yeah, the, the, and anybody anybody complaining about the money that Emmanuel Ogba got, you know, is just not paying attention. They got him for a bargain. We reported on OnlyFans and on our podcast, actually, that, you know, they felt really good about having a deal done in December at 60 million for four years with 32 million guaranteed. That money only moved five million. It went to 65 for four with the same amount guaranteed. Emmanuel Ogba, uh, I've, I've put up the numbers, and everybody's put up the numbers. Compared to every other edge player that got more money than he did, he had better years than all of them, including Harold Landry, including Von Miller. So 
you know, it's a good deal. He wanted to stay here. He had kept saying, I want to stay here. And evidently they got him for what they wanted. So, you know, now, the one thing I will say that I was a little surprised. I mean, Lakin Tomlinson not signing with your team. I mean, that was uh, I know there was a lot of a lot of Miami Dolphins fans who kind of thought that it was a foregone conclusion that they should be front runners for his services. So I, I know that there was some angst about that. Short of missing out on him, you know, you land a Connor Williams, you're in on these negotiations for some of the tackles and some of the offensive line talent, as you kind of alluded to. Um, when you look at the skill positions on this team, a Mike McDaniel's offense needs a very different type of skill set than you needed under, um, again, the uh, the Politburo <laughs> offensive approach that you guys had <laughs> last year and the year before last. So, I... It's is is it a little disappointing to see that they haven't focused on that more, or do you enjoy that because it means that they're not overspending on pieces that might not fit or produce? I think they're being really strategic, and I think they're being really smart. It's obvious that they're they still have money. They still have they can fit Teron Armstead and Leo Collins under the cap. So that tells you that they're doing pretty good work. If they've signed all these players, brought back all their guys, and they still have the money to bring in two of the best free agents that are available, right? Mm -hmm. So offensively, we knew they needed to revamp the entire running back room. Uh, They can't help that Duke Johnson won't accept the offer that they made him, which oddly enough is the same amount of money that Raheem Mostert got yesterday. So you you add a Raheem Mostert and you add uh, Chase Edmonds, that's a really good start to a running back room. Uh, I would expect that they draft somebody. Connor Williams at, as as the new left guard, that's fine as long as you bring in tackles. And I really like Cedric Wilson. Cedric Wilson's a guy who's who's young, up and coming, and you couldn't keep him off the field in Dallas. And you know, it was only, you know, six hundred yards and six touchdowns and on like sixty receptions. But if if you believe in some of the metrics and I I tend to put a lot of stock in yards per target. Uh, He averaged 9.87 yards per target last year, which is elite. That's just an elite number. And that was the first time he had an opportunity. And that we beat his own team and that Dallas wanted him back, I think says something, right? Mm -hmm. They got rid of Amari Cooper and they wanted to bring back Michael Gallup and, and Cedric Wilson to round out that wide receiver core. And we poached them from them. So you kind of you, you got to be happy with what they've done, I think, at the skill positions. And we still have a draft to come. No, for sure. And so that, that's, I guess, the thing. It, <laughs> I don't understand the frustration from your fan base. Why do they think your GM is asleep on his couch right now? Yeah, I don't get it either. I don't, I don't understand it either. And, you know, I like the uh, I like all the, you know, especially the, the fans that are saying, why is he ignoring tackles? And I'm like, well, the entire league is ignoring tackles because they're waiting for Deshaun Watson to make up his mind. Because if he goes to New Orleans, they probably don't have the money to re-sign Armstead. And maybe you could get him. If he goes to Atlanta, New Orleans does have the money to re-sign Armstead. And then, you know, you can't get him anymore. So you got to wait for, you know, one of the dominoes to fall first. Don't jump the gun. You want the mm-hmm. best tackles available right now? Well, you're in on both of them. You're in on Teron Armstead and you're in on Leo Collins. You know, you're trying to pick up both. So, 
One thing I would that say it, that that's pretty ambitious. One thing that I will say, because I know I've seen a lot of excitement about Chase Edmonds, and he was a guy, Chris, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, Anthony Prohaska from Disguise Coverage over at Cover One about this concept that, because we were, we were talking about every year I chart running backs because I have to I have to take a hammer and beat this point into our fan base's head when I see trade for Saquon Barkley or we McCaffrey. Need, yeah, we need to go trade for McCaffrey. That's what this team needs. So every offseason I make a chart and I say, okay, here's the running backs that got either either ran for either more than eight hundred yards or scored more than five touchdowns. And I break out some of their finer metrics and I say, okay, here's how many of them were on rookie deals. And it's usually more than 65% because that's how running backs work in the NFL. So in that process, I was talking about James, Chase Edmonds and James Conner. And I was looking at this, how you can kind of get a feel for a running back and start to determine value based on that. Chase Edmonds is an interesting fit for me with your team because Chase Edmonds is a player that when you look at his usage and where he was most effective, like his yards before contact number was way smaller than what James Conner put up on the same team, which tells you he was util- he was probably utilized a little bit differently. And if you watch the film, that kind of that that tracks. He was more when he was running the football, he was more used at a spread formations and stuff like that. Whereas I feel like what McDaniels has the tools to to kind of utilize here in Miami right now, and also what the ideal version of his offense is, is more geared towards. I don't know, tight ends and lead blockers and guys out in space. And I'm just wondering what the fit is here because I've seen some people talking about, how, oh, no, he's our de facto running back one. And I kind of laugh at that. How high are you on this Edmonds in this system uh, next year? Hey, Edmonds is, is going to be complimentary and uh, he's a pass catcher yes. and he'll be a pass catcher in this system. Uh, will he get 200 carries? Maybe not. Will he get 170 carries? Possibly. If if all goes well this coming season, Raheem Mostert will have about 200 carries and Edmonds will have maybe 150 and they'll find another 100 somewhere else in the rest of the, the running back room. What happens uh, Chase to Edmonds, Gaskins now? I think uh, uh, UPS has a pretty good uh, <laughs> retirement plan. Uh, I've never been a fan of Miles Gaskin, and I know I understand he's had some nice games. But I'm, you know, all it took was last year. They they brought in Duke Johnson and Philip Lindsay off the street, and all of a sudden our running game pepped up. And all of a sudden Duke Johnson had two 100 yard rushing games in the last four games. So that's all you needed to know. Uh, all year and pretty much for two years, uh, we had a a running game that was kind of anemic and never there when we needed it. And all of a sudden we just changed the personnel and it peps up. So I think that has something to do with it. I think uh, Miles Gaskin is just, you know, he's a guy. He's just a guy, you know, a jack. And in this system, evidently, they don't want a jack. No, I think, it, I mean, when you look at what was productive in San Francisco, that offense ran because they had a rare collection of athletes. But that's what you need to fuel that offense and make it the offense it can be. You need some supreme athleticism at a handful of positions that maybe don't always get it, like fullback. You need a really talented fullback. You need a you need blocking from not just one but multiple tight ends. Something that I know you guys franchise tag Mike Gesicki. He doesn't fit the mold of what that kind of 
he'll he'll be good almost as a wide receiver in this system because of his size, but you're still going to need a tight end that has some athleticism in terms of providing blocking. So it's just it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch in the run up to the draft how you guys flesh the rest of this out. Uh, it's funny you you talk. We're talking about the skill position. Cedric Wilson. Before we jump down here, you were talking to me about how you had this pegged weeks ago that they were going to pick up Cedric Wilson, and you were talking about it over in your OnlyFans group. Why don't you talk about that? Well, what well, explain OnlyFans? Well, it's a Discord, and if you pay three dollars a month, you pay us three dollars a month. Uh, you get to talk with like-minded Dolphin fans. Uh, about the Dolphins, and we break news on there. And if you were there, we broke the news that they were going to sign, they were going to go hard after Alec Engold, which they did, who, in my opinion, is the second best fullback in in the NFL for what they want want him to do. They need an athletic fullback. They yep. need a guy who can get out on, on wide zone runs, and he's that. And we also broke the news on Cedric Wilson that they were going to go after him almost three weeks prior to when they actually signed up because we we had some information about what their wide receiver board looked like and i ran it up ran it through somebody in the organization and they kind of gave me a list and on that list number one on the list and it was actually in order it had cedric wilson as their top free agent target sure enough they signed up so that was a pretty good nugget i would say and We've broken other stories, you know, the, so for example, like that they would go after <laughs> I was say, they would go after Teron Armstead and, and Leo Collins. I reported uh, yesterday on OnlyFans. They're going to go after both. And if you tune into NFL Network at seven o'clock, you're going to see Cameron Wolf report this. Well, he didn't do it yesterday at seven o'clock. He did it today at three o'clock. <laughs> so, see? so, yeah, we've been we've had a good run over there at, at OnlyFans and, you know, where can you could either you could either go to the Herald or the Sentinel and pay them up, uh, through their paywall and get nothing, or pay us three dollars and get the news that they're going to print tomorrow today. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. So, where can our listeners go to find this? Because here's what I'll say: we were joking about it. Three dollars a month is less than a beer out of any drinking establishment I can think of. And I have a. Hard- You're also factoring in inflation. <laughs> and I have a hard and fast policy that if there's anything out there that costs costs me less than a beer, I don't think about that purchase because it's it's irrelevant to my life. <laughs> so where can people go to find this if they want to sign up for it? Uh, you could go to our, our Twitter account uh, at three yards per carry, and it's the pinned tweet right there. Uh, and and if you can't find it there, you know, well, and if you're not on Twitter, you just go to Patreon. Go to Patreon and look for OnlyFins, and we will be there. And you could sign up right there. You send us your information, you get an invite, and then you're in. And so that brings us on to the Patriots, Chris, who finished second in the AFC East with an 11-6 and record. They had a disappointing end of like divisional matchups to end their season, which was a season that ended in maybe what might go down as the most deflating wildcard loss of all time. The best wild card <laughs> loss of all time. It was clear in that moment that there was going to be a youth movement required on defense. Because down the stretch, the defense kind of was unraveled. That second matchup against Buffalo in Foxborough. Then playing them again in Orchard Park. That uncharacteristic but kind of like, hey, we had to go down to Miami and we lost that game. A game that they really needed. It just... It, it showed that with their current construction and age, they weren't up to stopping the more high-octane offenses in the NFL. 
which is clearly a hump that they're going to need to get over if they want to build off what they accomplished as a playoff team in 2021. Unfortunately, the unbillicheckian spending spree of 2021 left them without a massive amount of cap space on hand to bring in a whole lot of changes. So it was always going to require some savvy to solve their problems, and it seems like they're really going through it right now. And to talk to us a little bit more about that, Mr. Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots and Sports Illustrated. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that uh, deflating loss. Nice choice of words there. i got to <laughs> give you credit on that one. Um, I, I didn't see what happened there. What, what, what happened? I was, I don't know, I was doing something else. You were doing night. something else that day? You were busy? Attention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> checked out after the second I, drive. I wish I was, but that uh, that's, well, uh, that's the conversation probably for another day. You had to know. You had to know that when our quarterback threw the ball away and it somehow ended up a touchdown that he didn't even know he threw, it was going to be a bad night, right? Yeah, when your opposing quarterback is essentially tossing a perfect game and there's not much you can do to stop him, uh, yeah, long night. Long, long night for Patriots fans, long time coming for Bills fans. Chalk it up. Uh, I think we all knew going into that who the – who the better team was, and uh, you know it, it showed its uh, showed its face at that point. So um, you know, you guys know me. I was very consistent pretty much all year long in saying that I still thought the Bills were the class of that division, even when the Patriots were starting to make noise. I felt that they were doing a fairly good job of staying in contention, and I thought they could contend. But ultimately, you know, they ran into a, a juggernaut, and that's exactly what happened. So when we look at where you guys started this off-season rebuilding process. You're looking at team needs. You're going, okay, just as an outsider, I'm saying, okay, nickel cornerback's an issue because Isaiah McKenzie shouldn't be putting up 100 yards Mm -hmm. on us if we have a quality nickel corner. Cornerback one with the uncertain status of J.C. Jackson. You needed to lock down somebody to man that role. Interior line help, uh, linebackers, edge play, wide receiver was in need. One of the things I've been trying to like get our guests to talk about all night, just kind of leading questions and such, is this idea that if they thought that the team had utilized their existing cap space well enough to address what their needs were, but the Patriots didn't sign anybody. <laughs> so you guys only retained guys who were already on your roster, and you hemorrhaged a bunch of other talent. I mean, in fact, you lost bodies, some of them voluntarily, like Shaq Mason. <sighs> First of all, walk me through this process of divesting players like Shaq Mason, who on their face were f- brought some quality to your to their various departments and roles. Well, yeah, I mean, in the case of Shaq Mason, I think you can make the argument he was their most uh, reliable without question and probably their best offensive lineman in 2021. Even uh, before that, Shaq has always been one of the anchors of this defensive line. He and David Andrews are the elder statesmen in that crew. You felt the continuity when those guys were out there on the field. Now, obviously, the move was made with cap space in mind. Patriots freed up in excess of $6 million in cap space to trade away Shaq Mason. So if you're cap strapped, that's a way to be able to clear it up. My question is, there were other ways on the roster that you could have done that. Why go ahead and ship off Shaq Mason? Well, from what I'm hearing internally, uh, you know, there was a situation where the Patriots were pretty content to keep him in-house. Tampa Bay all of a sudden had a need. Uh, they had a need for a guard. They picked up the phone. They called. The Patriots liked the fifth round uh, compensation, and that deal came to fruition. So now, without Shaq Mason... You're already without Ted Karras. You're missing two key cogs of that offensive line from 2021. 
Trent Brown is still an unrestricted free agent. My understanding is that he visited Seattle today. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, folks, so uh, that's the day that he uh, that he visited. Right now, you have to think about what he's going to do and how he's going to progress. If they lose three pieces off of that offensive line, now all of a sudden you've got a lot to backfill. Patriots definitely have a hole at corner, a huge hole at corner in J.C. Jackson, now being off in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. Wide receiver still hasn't been adequately addressed. There are holes there, but I do caution any Patriots fans that may be listening to this, still a lot of time to build that roster. So what you're seeing right now is not going to be the finished product. Well, that's, I guess, it. Like, that's the next step in this conversation is the fan reaction already from Patriots fans. Some of this I, I want to say is hubris. <laughs> I want to say that you, your fan base is still blessed with hubris. And I mean, mm-hmm. and I mean that. I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. Because this is a point where I feel like if this were the kind of thing the Bills were currently going through, our fan base would be kind of shaken. Because we haven't accomplished anything of note. And it would seem like we were backsliding prematurely. You guys have so many championships won in the last 20 years that your fan base has a cockiness to it by by default. So with that in mind, when you see these deficiencies starting to pop up, but again, you're trying to say, hey, guys, don't overreact. I feel like the average Patriots fan isn't overreacting. If anything, they're kind of, I mean, I'm looking at uh, that there was a tweet that went out from, oh, good Lord, if I could find it now. There was a gentleman, Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen from, uh, let's see, well, what outlet is he from? I bet you I can click on this and find out relatively quick. Bruce Allen from Boston Sports Media Watch, <laughs> who came out and said, you know, until he got traded to the Rams, I wasn't aware Von Miller was actually playing. So the Bills giving him this money at 33, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. And while some people could look at that and go, okay, you're this better be tongue in cheek. I hope you don't actually believe that. I understand that Patriots fans are probably emotionally insulated from this to a certain point. So I don't expect a a whole lot of overreaction. But why do you think it is that the Patriots are choosing to wait while so many impact players are already coming off the board? Because I feel like last year you guys did this on offense. You said, hey, let's spend at the tight end group and we'll play it cheap at wide receiver for this year. And next year we'll figure it out. It feels like you're taking the same track again, which already showed that kind of getting quote unquote deals on guys like Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar ultimately doesn't get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, that's a fair point. I mean, in terms of the fan base, I wouldn't say a lot of the fan base is content with what's happening. If you take a deep dive into Patriots Twitter, uh, you'll see that the majority of Patriots fans, at least the ones that are in my mentions, uh, are constantly wondering what is going on in Foxborough, why all of the Patriots' major rivals in the AFC are beefing up. You mentioned the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I I can't speak to what anybody else is going to say about Von Miller. This is an impact move without any question. I mean, anybody that thinks that Von Miller is not going to have a tremendous impact on an already formidable defense Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I guess everyone's entitled to their opinion, but, you know, it's, you know, obviously the age, it's a lot, you know, for a player of his age, but for a player that's capable of doing what he's doing and the bills are going all in right now, this is not a situation where the bills are building for something and they're still two or three years away from contending. Then you'd look at it and say, well, at 33, why are they going to give him that kind of money? 
they're in potential. They're in uh, you know potential, and right now, I think the driver's seat to be uh, one of the, uh, the the contenders in the AFC to come out of it. And I think they're in the driver's seat to actually do it right now, despite of the craziness that's going on in the AFC West right now. I think the Bills are the best put together team from start to finish, offense, defense, special teams, but. With the Patriots, you have to start looking at what the other teams are doing, and I think that's where that's where their strategy is going to lie. You look at the Bills and what they're doing. You look at the AFC West now. Um, the Raiders even pulling off the trade for Devontae Adams. You've got Russell Wilson in uh, in Denver. You've got Justin Herbert, and then that Los Angeles defense that is going to be amazing to watch. That's going to be a real, real fun team to watch. And oh, by the way, you still have Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs that are still pretty good. The last time I checked, that division is going to be so difficult. Pittsburgh is beefed up a little bit. You've got Indianapolis making, uh, you know, moves uh, just by way of getting rid of Carson Wentz. They've probably inc- increased their chances of postseason success. Patriots are looking at all of this right now, and they're saying, you know what, we've got a very young quarterback. One year, uh, you know, removed from his rookie season, we're going to be flush with cap space and potentially compensatory picks next year. I'm not saying this is the strategy out of New England because I don't have any type of authority to speak on that. But if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm the Patriots brain trust, me individually, my opinion, I'm looking at this and saying, you know what? Maybe it's better off we are conservative this year and try to go at it next year. And that was going to be my question is, is this conservative approach by design because you're looking around and saying, look, we've got uh, as many as four teams, five in our own conference that not only were already kind of at the at the top already. You know, if you're talking about the AFC West, throwing the Bills, Chris, who else? The Bills, uh, the the AFC West as That's a whole. That's it. Um, no, because there's other teams. Obviously, Cincy. Oh yeah, Cleveland. <laughs> Cincy is one of these teams that's got to be in this conversation. Um, but like the AFC South, nobody's scared of the AFC South. There's, we are. We lost three games to them last year. Yeah, don't even get me to that Jacksonville game. See, now I'm going to open another beer. D- damn you, Chris. Why do you do this to me? <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is when if you're if I'm part of the Patriots brain trust for as much as I want to dunk on this, like, hey, you're not doing anything. Ah, oh, this is hilarious. If you're a building team and you know that that's what you are, does it make sense to try to go out there and spend gobs of cash? Last year, they did it. And I want to say, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, I think that there was maybe a belief that, okay, Mac Jones could come in here and have a early Tom Brady-esque kind of performance where we think he's of that mold. We think he can be a game manager, but a little bit more impactful than that. And that our roster is still built enough that we can win tight football games with strong defense. And Bill probably really thought he could make another quick run back to running the AFC East. And it almost worked. It almost had you guys. I mean, you're, you were one loss worse than us. That's it. Mm-hmm. And you were right there neck and neck the whole season. At one point, you were leading the division. After losing the way you lost, seeing what the Bills are doing, seeing the arms race going on in the AFC West, you say, okay, there's a hierarchy here that we can't crack. We don't have the assets. We don't have the established baseline of talent. It's better than to grow slowly and try to matriculate the growth of a football team through the draft, through some 
savvier picks. Maybe you sign some flyers on guys who are developmental prospects or second wave type free agency guys who, if they work, you could always keep them around at a lower dollar cap or a lower dollar amount. And they might be grateful as players and agents that you gave their client a chance or that you gave them as players a chance. You get those hometown discount type things because you're still getting to play for a Hall of Fame head coach. Maybe taking a slow roll to this season makes sense if you're saying, look, we know we can't compete with these five teams right now, so let's not try. Instead, let's focus on what we're doing, clear some cap, and try to set ourselves up for success in two or three years when these moves that these teams are making right now in this arms race, when all that, all those cap hits <laughs> start to <laughs> take their toll, when all of these rookie contracts that are expiring and these guys need to be paid. You know, the Tr- Tremaine Edmondses and the Matt Milano's contracts need to come due and we can't pay them because we have a Josh Allen. When those windows close, maybe you guys can catch the upswing there. Is that kind of what you think is going on here? Uh, yes and no. I don't necessarily think that the Patriots went into this season saying, okay, we're going to play for 2023. I think no. their approach has always been Let's put a value on players, any individual player, whether it be a free agent that we want to target or whether it be an internal free agent where we know their wherewithal and we see them on a daily basis. These guys have worth and they have value put on them by the front office. The Patriots are not going to deviate from that. Last season, we saw them spend uncharacteristically. And the reason why is because they were flush with cap space. That was something very unusual about the way the Patriots armed up for that type of an offseason, and they delivered. I mean, everybody wondered what they were going to do with that type of uh, cap space. Were they going to carry it over? Were they going to put it into the season? Were they just going to focus on bringing in internal talent and locking up internal talent? That's something that I think the New England Patriots uh, were very fairly criticized for last year leading into the offseason. And then the offseason begins, the league year begins, and you start to see – John Smith come off the board, Hunter Henry, Matt Judon, uh, Devon Godshaw. All of a sudden, these players are arriving in New England, and it was really, it was very unusual for what uh, the Patriots usually do. This season, I think they kind of went back to what they normally would do because they were middle of the pack, uh, lower end of the pack when it came to available cap space. They knew that they weren't going to be able to spend lavishly. So what do you do? You try to target players that you think you have a realistic shot at. The market kind of priced them out in a lot of areas. From my sources, people that I talk to, they were definitely in on a lot of the players that people are talking about them not going out to get. They made inquiries about Allen Robinson. They, they were definitely uh, you know, in on talking about L. Collins and things of that nature. These are players that the fan base wanted desperately, but at the same time, there was also a limit to the amount that they were able to spend or that they would spend. And if they weren't going to be able to, to bring these guys in to do it, then all of a sudden you're going back to plan B and you see Bill Belichick and his contingent at the University of Georgia Pro Day, for example, on uh, you know yesterday. <laughs> These are the types of strategies that they're taking. They're going to look to the draft. They will bring in competent free agents, guys that will help to fill these holds. Um, again, the sky's not falling in Foxborough, but at the same time, it's not going to be that aggressive wild ride that you saw last year for this team in free agency. The last question I have before we let you go. So they're obviously going to make moves. Things are going to change between now and the draft and post-draft. I guess when I look at how you guys are setting up your offseason, though, and your roster construction for the upcoming season, your offense is designed to flow through the running game. 
And <laughs> you guys did a well enough job of that last year. <laughs> it, it, it's it's the thing that carried you to a wild card berth is that your rushing attack was dominant enough, and it could help you foster what Mac Jones could do as a quarterback and as a passer, keep defenses honest. It kept him from throwing into heavy coverage. It really helped him. But you've got all these departures in the running back stable and in the offensive line and lean blocking department. On the defensive side of the ball, you've lost some of your best secondary talent. And at the same time, your linebackers aren't getting any younger. And all of these areas that got exposed in that wild card loss to Buffalo is not being athletic enough, not being either either too old or too green. Like, if the Patriots had to prioritize rebuilding one of these two units, either building around Mac with their premium draft capital and what's left of their cap space, and helping his development or giving Belichick the pieces to start building back a championship-caliber defense, which do you think the franchise should choose? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, you always have to maximize your ability to play to your quarterback's uh, back strengths. And if Mac is going to be the guy, for better or for worse, guys, it's always going to be a quarterback league. And you want to be able to build around your young signal caller in order to get the type of um, performance that you need out of him. At the same time, this has always been a team that's built around strong defense, formidable offensive line, and giving the offense a chance to win the game, but utilizing the defense to actually win it. So in my opinion, what the Patriots would be wise to do would be to invest in that defense right now. You have holes at the cornerback position. You definitely want to address those. Are they going to bring in, you know, mid-level, also ran guys? You know, you've seen, uh, you know, elements of this already. Um with Terrence Mitchell coming in, uh, these aren't you know blockbuster signings, but they're serviceable players that'll be able to play the type of system that you like to employ while being able to groom, for example, a cornerback that they may take in the draft. Are they going to use that first round capital to bring somebody like that in, or are they going to invest in the linebacker position or a defensive tackle? Excuse me, a defensive end, someone that's going to be able to come in and increase the pass rush. If they're going to go offense in the first round. I know Patriots fans are not going to want to hear this. They're going to go offensive line, especially if they're missing those pieces along the offensive line. That's how you build. That's how you maximize a young quarterback's uh, ability. Yeah, the it, everybody wants that shiny new toy, a wide receiver that's going to give you the fantasy points and it's going to put points on the board and allow you to listen to Bon Jovi every time they find the uh, the end zone. But at the same time, you have to build that team around him. You can have all the talent in the world at the wide receiver position, but if Mac is running for his life every play, it's not going to matter. Mike, this is the type of insight that I like bringing you into these conversations for. I love the fact that you make time for us. Um, I, it's Again, you've become like synonymous with the Patriots in this AFC East Roundup podcast-like thing that we do. People look, we get messages about your appearances on here. (laughs) That's the type of job you do. You're developing a Bills fan contingent over here to follow your work. So for everybody out here, where can they also, the ones who aren't yet, where can they find you on social and where can they find your upcoming work? 
Oh, uh, you can find me on social at M D A B A T E N F L on the Bird app, as my good friend and mentor Mark Schofield would say. Uh, you can find all of my written work at Patriot Maven of Sports Illustrated. Find that on Twitter at, at Patriot Maven SI. And of course, each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including now on YouTube. Scott Mason, Alpha Artiaga, Mike Debate, three of the best. And to keep it going with what we were talking with Scott about. They're basically the diamond mine of professional <laughs> podcasting. Who would be Razor Ramon? Alf, clearly. <laughs> Who's Diamond Dallas Page? That would be Mike Debate. So what does that make Scott Mason? Kevin Nash. Except I don't think uh, Scott Mason is 6'11". No, I don't think most people are 6'11". <laughs> yeah. His voice isn't deep enough to be that tall. Yeah. So that brings us just around the horn, full circle, back here to the Buffalo Bills, Chris. You, me, the Buffalo Bills, and our 400th podcast. Yes. Buffalo Bills finished first in the AFCs with a record of 11-6. and six. As we said earlier... We already had our free agency recap podcast with Bruce Nolan. Go check it out if you haven't already. I think after hearing it all straight from the horse's mouth across the board, it's pretty clear. The Bills started this week as the best roster in the AFC East, and it feels like they didn't do much. Like Nobody else did a whole lot yet this offseason to try to close that gap. And in fact, doesn't the gap between us and the other teams in the division feel bigger than it did last year? Yeah, I was talking about this with Reed, or Long Snapper, last night because we did his podcast after the snap. If you guys aren't listening, go listen to after the snap. I had talked about early in the afternoon yesterday, you know, Bill's Twitter was like, you know, J.D. McKissick, how are you going to spurn us to stay in Washington? You know, it's like, are we going to do anything in free agency? And then, you know, Bean probably had a, I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm going to guess, and I'm probably accurate. He had a 72-ounce steak for dinner last <laughs> night, and then after dinner made a couple of calls to Von Miller and O.J. Howard because we had, up until last night with Von Miller and O.J. Howard, it was, you know, pretty what we thought we were, they were going to sign. Like, we weren't going to be going for those, those A-list hitters in free agency, your Tim Settles, the guy that we got from Carolina, just always a guy from Carolina. Oh yeah, always a guy. From, we, were, <laughs> we weren't going to be big players, and then Brandon Bean ate his 70, 72 ounce porterhouse, and was like, "I'm going to get Von Miller. That's dessert. <laughs> That's meat drunk. That's what that is." I've had the meat sweats before. I can tell you, I haven't gone out and pulled anything like that. But I'll say, it's. Do you remember all the talk from Patriots fans? Like, oh, okay, well, we're we're right there in the division because we got Judon and we got this guy and we spent all this money and we did all. That tweet. They're demoralized today. Yeah, that tweet. Yeah. From Judon. Yeah. Uh, They're they're demoralized here today. And I'll drink to that. So our 400th podcast, Chris. Now, as I said at the top of the show, I wanted you to think about what, how far we've come. When we recorded our first episode, my wife and I were still dating, not even living together. 
you were recently divorced. In fact, you weren't even divorced yet. We read no. your divorce decree on air. Yeah, we did. We read, we, we read the divorce on air. We've gone from two guys in our early 30s just drinking and spinning plates and trying to figure out who the fuck we are as people. And also, hey, we're going to learn how to podcast, and maybe this will maybe this will make make for a few laughs someday. Now we're part of one of the fastest growing podcast networks. We make coin off of this, which still flummoxes me. Like I don't understand it because we just show up in booze and laugh about football and make jokes about wrestling. And then somebody gives that's us, not worth. That's, and then somebody gives us money for it. If someone came to me and said, "Hey, will you pay me for this?" I, I and yet you guys reach out and just just this week, we got a message from a listener who broke down how our show helps with his sobriety, which is hilarious because it sounds counter counterintuitive, right? And it's like yeah, somehow guy, I'm, I'm you, drinking for you. You somehow you guys take something away from this. And I, I feel like like I'm I'm incredibly I don't even know what the word is, Chris. I'm I'm incredibly grateful to the people who have stuck around for four hundred episodes and who genuinely get something out of this. I just assumed it was you and me doing this for our own chuckles. Yeah. I think every hundred episodes that we do, the I don't know who it is for you, but as far back as I can go with this. The first regular listener I can remember us having is on tw- on Twitter, Mayor McCheese. <laughs> Mayor McCheese. Yeah, I think he's been uh, around some of the from old, the beginning. Some, some of the old school guys. The um, your Eric Harris's, Eric Harris, uh, Lackawanna Vince. Yes, dude, he's great. He's great. And I love the fact that he introduced us to Jake. Yeah, Jake's Jake's a killer. I love that guy. He, we, he Jason Hicksonbaugh. Hicksonbaugh also from the beginning. Jake also, this is old-fashioned that I'm having right now, is from that Virginia whiskey he brought to the tailgate for you to give to me. I, we've just, there, there's so many of you, like this thing has changed my life. And so many of you, like it's introduced me to people and so many of you guys that have also had an impact on my life even if I haven't met you. Yeah. It's also introduced you to different nationalities. Yeah. Swenson. Australian. Yeah, I'm hanging out with Hugo th- th- from th- Portugal. <laughs> it's it's cultured me, we'll say it. I think that's probably the nice way to say it. Like I'm more cultured because of this. Yeah. Hugo, like what person from a different country who has never been to the United States outside of business? Hugo, his first United States trip for pleasure on his own terms, I'm going to Buffalo. Not New York City, not Chicago, not L.A., Dallas, Atlanta, Miami. I'm going to go to Buffalo, New York. He slept in my house. My One of my favorite things ever is my wife. Just as she continues to meet you people, the very first time she met Kyle Trimble, she goes, you mean to tell me that a, that a guy that you met on the Internet is coming to our home? And I was like, when you say it like that, it sounds bad, but I promise you it's not because I'm I'm I am not like Chris fair. I'm a good person, not a great person. Fair? Yeah. I'm a pretty good judge of who's a better person than me. And I can tell you that all the people who I've met through this medium, 
way better people than me. So sure, you can come into my home. Because if I'm allowed to come through the door, I'm pretty sure you all you all pass muster. I don't I don't know how your wife says something like that. So okay, so you met met a guy on the internet and he's coming over, and I don't know how you just casually slip in. Well, if he gets out of line, I'll just kill him. <laughs> if he gets out of line, I can handle it. She goes, "What does that mean? It means exactly what it sounds like." Yeah, you just. I'm not a good person, but Chris, I need you to fish me another beer out of there. We we want to go into this because we are the Pettiest Bills podcast. Winners and losers from free agency, because obviously the Bills are winners. But I think some of the biggest winners this week, it's it, not even people in the NFL, it's you guys. Because you all are dedicated listeners through 400 shows. Chris, I, and I, I'm scared because I don't even recall some of these. And I'm sure that maybe they're terrible. Maybe they're good. Maybe I'm going to look like a genius. But the winners are our listeners because Chris is dredged up. My old pre-podcast WGR phone calls. Now, unfortunately, have, he doesn't have the drunken tirade. I want to just to paint you guys a picture. I used to call the radio station and have a lot of points, and there was no there was no one else listening. Really, there was no repercussions. I didn't know that. Kind of like I don't want to call it because it's not stalkerish, but. Chris was just secretly recording these things. Like, I'd be like, oh, I was just on the radio, and I made a valid point. More to show off than anything else. And Chris goes, oh, yeah, you think you're funny? Yeah, I'm going to record that. Yeah, who knew, <laughs> who knew that these... I didn't know you knew audio production. Yeah, it's, I mean, before <laughs> podcasting, the extent of my audio production would be, well, I could take a song, cut it apart to make, like, a ringtone. <laughs> That's what I would do. Just in your free time? And free then you time. were like, oh, this idiot's yeah. going to call the station? Oh, I'm getting that. Yeah, you you would tell me, like, oh, I was just on GR, and then I would just go grab it. I meant for you to listen to it, not 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 to save it to humiliate me later. We have, But here we are. I have three phone calls of you to WGR. One was during the podcast era, so 2016. I think we're going to... Play that first and then work our way backwards. All right. Because I have two that were pre-podcast from September of 2014. All right. You cue these things up and hit me with it. because I, I. So we're going to go uh, back to show. I already have like, I don't know if it's flop sweat, but I already feel like warm. Well, we're going <laughs> to go back to show up in the Bulldog. And I, I think the gist of the call was the idea of paying Gilmore versus paying okay. Tyrod. So here we go. Let us know how you feel about it. Drew is next up here on WGR. Thanks for calling. Drew, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. That, there's your first mistake. If I'm the producer, <laughs> hey, can you guys, hey, uh, I know I, I just called a radio station and their whole premise is to get people out on the airwaves and you just immediately come in with, uh, hey, can you guys, hear? that's their job. <sighs> if I'm, I believe Ryan Gates was the producer at the time. If I'm Gates, I just, and that I just dropped that call. And, uh, something happened. He he just he just dropped off. But uh, we'll let's continue. Okay. I was talking to the screener, and um, so my friend and I we do we're, we're local podcasters for the Bills, but we've gone back and forth over the last couple of weeks about who's more important, Tyrod or Gilmore, whose contract should get done first. I, I've been on the Tyrod side; he's on the Gilmore side. Well, now today you see here that Tyrod's contract got done. And like you guys said, it sounds like a, it's a great contract for both sides, which is rare when mm-hmm. it comes to modern quarterback contracts, modern contracts at all in the NFL. But so the one thing I think is that, you know, earlier Paul had made a comment about, you know, we have the ability to franchise tag now, but we might not have the cap room. 
I think a lot of that's going to come down to what happens with Kyle Williams and Adolphus Washington. Kyle Williams is the only player with a large enough, so he's got $8 million against our cap going into next season. I like how you're comparing Kyle Washington and Adolphus Washington. Listen, at the time, you didn't know that Adolphus Washington was going to, I don't know, have a gun at a water park or just kind of (laughs) flush his hopes of an NFL career down the toilet? I don't know. All right, let's continue. But if we cut him, he's only worth 1.6 in dead money. So with his contract structured the way it was, I I already thought that going into this season meant that he was either due for a restructure or he was going to get a He did restructure. Oh, he did well. So Kyle did restructure. So even after that, he's got this giant cap hit with no dead money associated with him if he were to leave. So I feel like if Adolphus Washington can step in and prove that he can at least, you know, they see enough upward, you know, enough growth potential in him for that spot in Kyle. I think if you were to get rid of Kyle and save that seven point five, you can find another three million somewhere. Yeah, well, no, that, yeah, th- look, it'll all get pieced together. I don't know that they have much. I mean, despite what Paul was saying, my understanding of it is that they they're in great shape on the cap. Well, that's what I was in, asking. Moving Are, into next year, will like, they be okay? I think they've had. There hasn't been any concern this off season about signing both Taylor and Gilmore next off season because their dead money situation improves and they don't have a lot of other stuff up. It's really whether they keep Gilmore or not is going to come down to whether or not they want to pay Gilmore as the highest paid corner in the NFL, yeah. or or even franchise him and pay him you know the average of the top five, which will be a huge cap hit for one year. I think they'll have the room to do it. The question is whether they want to outlay the cash and and like do it. Whether they think that's good value or not is what I think anything with Gilmore is going to come down to. And you can't always give the guy what he wants. You know, if they're not going to come off that, and then you lose the player. All of a sudden, Doug Whaley's the bad guy, or whoever you blame for it. But you can't always give every player everything they want if you don't, even though he's a really, 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 really good football player. You might have seen a great football player. If you don't think he's even close to the best in the league, then why are you going to pay him to be the best in the league? I know this is a different front office, um, but just thinking back, remember when they used to just let star cornerbacks go year after year after year. A lot of guys between, But the corners in particular Winfield, with Winfield Clements, and Clements, Jabari, Jabari Greer. Right. Yeah. Like that. And I don't remember ever feeling the sting of that. And this is to go back to this guy is debating with his friend as to which is more important, the Tyrod deal wow. or the Stefan Gilmore deal. I, get a different friend. Get a, hang out with different people. <laughs> I mean, that's you. You win, Drew. You were right, and he was wrong. And the Bills are right here. And who was right and who was wrong now? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I forgot about that. I remember that, but, but now that I'm hearing it, I remember being so excited to call you and be like, "Look at this guy thing on the radio says I should get new friends." Yeah, it was uh, Brad Ryder filling in for uh, Mike Show. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, so now we're now we're we're gonna move along, uh, go back even further pre podcast. This is 2014. Uh, you called into the John Murphy show. Saw it at training camp. Saw it in the practices in the off season. Drew in Depew. Drew, what do you think about the Buffalo offense? Well, I think one of the big things you're looking at right now is they all look at personnel. You got in the game yesterday, the game on Sunday. You got Chantrell Henderson going up against Cameron. Yeah. Cameron Lake, who has just been lighting the league on fire the last couple of years, he's a stud. So you don't want to leave that guy too many opportunities on an island. You, you could call 
you know, an offensive game plan that takes a lot of shots downfield. But do you want right. to open up a rookie to that kind of pressure of having to hold up against a pass rusher like that? Really good and point, Drew. Really good point I because they use the stuff. That- I don't like that John Murphy gave you props and then you continued to talk oh, yeah. over him. Oh yeah, I was. I, I, you could tell as soon as. As soon as he chimed in, and I, I could already hear it in my voice in this recording. I was like, "Oh no, I was, yeah, I was gonna really steam good point, roll. Drew." And then you just, <laughs> you just, you just steamed. Let's let's go back to the call. Threw yep. a lot of passes to the flats. They had a lot of chipping, you know, chipping running backs and tight ends and things. And I think it does limit what you can call play wise. Same thing against the Bears. They have Jared Allen and a couple other good defensive linemen. So I think as we start to play other teams that maybe don't have those personnel groups, yep. you might see them throw some more of those longer passes and things like that in. Really good point, Drew. You might see them spread it out more and not be concerned with protection and the help for Chantrell Henderson or any anybody, really. I think that's an outstanding point. They have played opponents these first two weeks it's not a lab experiment it's not a uh, a test i heard somebody today describing uh, uh, on the radio somebody was talking i hate about to john murphy giving you props the actual play-by-play voice of the buffalo bills it's like hey that's a really good point drew nice thank you for not calling and sucking the life out of me like some of the other mouth breathers that do yeah, God. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move. Keep move, We're gonna move back even further. This was like two weeks prior to that call with John Murphy. You called in to show up in the Bulldog. Now Orton will push him there. That would be stunning. Here is Drew next. Hello, Drew. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, so one of my takeaways from last night, and I hate being the guy. I hate being that petty fan who. Oh, I like to no. set this up. This is the. Uh, no, I can. I know yeah, it. I already is... know it when you said from last night because the Bills at that point in time did not get primetime games. This was the we're on to Cincinnati oh, call. Oh, no. this is Kansas City. This is New England on the road. Chris, I, I want to explain to our listeners like right now, I have my glasses off and I'm bro- I have flop sweat. Like, legitimate, like my forehead feels like tingly i'm gonna put this on youtube and i have like a pit in the bottom of my stomach because i'm afraid of how confident i'm gonna sound i can't even remember i just remember making the phone call and being so cocksure that i just watched the demise of the patriots (laughs) hilarious yeah back to the call You're watching a Monday Night Football game, not rooting for anyone specifically to win, but for one team to lose. It just makes it's a bad feeling to sit there and watch it with. Well, you're rooting against the Patriots, and you know, even when they go down fourteen nothing, you're thinking to yourself, "Okay, it's Tom Brady. You know, he's going to lead this team back." But to just watch the way they got beat—I mean, their offensive line was a tire fire all night long. All season, I mean, all season. By a, by a defense that's supposed to be depleted by injuries, has all these problems. And Nate Solder on that strip sack, he didn't even get a piece of Tom Bahali. He blew past him like he wasn't even there and then got replaced on the next drive. Right. You watch that and you start thinking, you're like, these guys have to play Mario Williams, Darius, and Kyle Williams in two weeks? Like, all of a sudden, that. And then the fact that their defensive line got gassed by that running game. And I know Jamal Charles is a great running back, but... Niles Davis is running for 10, 15 yards at a time, and yeah. no one on the defense seems to have any, have an answer for it. The, yeah. t- the tight end is running in the open field. The Kelsey, right? I mean, like the guys were just running like deer. They were just like, "Hey, oh, oh, I got a bounce now." I'm excited. I am downright excited to see this Bills defense face that. Team. Yeah. So you, so you watch that, and the only takeaway I keep thinking, I went to bed thinking, "Wow." If they're going to be this bad, maybe we got a shot. And I texted it to my friend, and he immediately responded with the scene from Dumb and Dumber, where Lloyd's like, a million to one, so you're saying there's a chance. And I can't help but feel like that, but I got a little bit of hope. 
Yeah, no, look, come, yeah, of course it's possible. Of course it's possible. There have been close games, even wins against that team, and now you see them look bad. Miami beat New England, and the Bills beat Miami nicely. Pretty soundly, yeah. Kansas City beat Miami, so if you didn't think of them as Kansas City and New England, it would sort of feel right. Well, this team should be the better team in that game, and they were. They there were it is, all of your calls. On WGR. First of all, it sickens me. It makes me feel better hearing that they were as excited as I was on that last call. I would like to point out one thing that I think makes a good phone call to a radio station. And this actually, like, for as embarrassed as I was to hear my own voice in those conversations, because you just go, ooh, I sound like a douche. God. <laughs> That's I don't know the most why punchable you did, sound. I didn't oh. know why you sounded like that when we started podcasting. You're like, I'm going to be a jazz DJ. Well, because it's one thing when you're on the radio and you're like, the only people who are listening to me are are other idiots. And then you go, well, wait a minute. I'm going to start a podcast of my own. I feel like I need to sound smarter than them. If there's anything, it's that my takeaway from those conversations, they're not nearly as bad as I gave them credit for. And here's why. They all started, they furthered a conversation for the radio hosts. Nothing drives me crazier than somebody who calls a radio program to make a point that the hosts can't extrapolate off of or talk about. It's supposed to be a conversation medium, right? Like, that's what radio is, a conversation that goes out to hundreds of people. If you're calling in to contribute something, it should be something that they can then talk about further and in more detail and add their own ideas to and... And for the most part, it sounds like even when I was an idiot calling into the radio station, some of the cringeworthy commentary that I had for that aside, I I still think that I was good at that. Yeah, you all I from that was very early on in me knowing you, and you were very cocky about being a good radio caller. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm very cocky about being someone who can drink an eighteen pack and do a podcast. <laughs> I did. I did pull up the uh, box score here of that Bills Patriots game that was two le- two weeks later after that phone call. What was the final score? Thirty seven to twenty two. Okay, let's look at the box score though. What was the go up? Go up. Okay. All right, that's ugly. At one point we were losing twenty twenty three to fourteen. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, thirty that's to fourteen. This is what I like about it right here. Look at this. Thanks to Pro Football Reference. Yeah, the Bills. Bills were- minus one. It's probably the closest game we ever had with the Patriots in terms of the line. Chris, I'm just happy that you didn't get the audio from the call. I'll just tell you listeners the story. Again, this is pre-podcast. This is, um, or maybe it's not. Maybe this is this is podcast like era. And I called in after the Carlos Williams game. Carlos Williams goes nuts against Miami. On Chopin the Bulldog, they had spent the whole week talking about how there was no air being groomed for LaShawn McCoy and how he might be the guy who has to move on, his cost, this, that, the other thing. And I had come home from the game that day. I'd been drinking. We get dropped off, and now I'm pacing around the, the house drinking and waiting on the, for 45 minutes on hold in the radio because I had a very salient point to make about how if Carlos Williams can be that guy, we don't need to invest draft capital. We don't need to worry about our salary cap for that because this is going to be our running back in the future. They put me on the radio probably about an hour after I called and about four more drinks. My wife was listening upstairs. 
what came out of my mouth when I finally got on the radio, Chris, was an incomprehensible stream of consciousness. How much of a loser are you to stay on hold with a radio station for an hour? Booze. Booze? I can do anything. Literally anything on earth. If you put a beer in my hand, I can do anything. You want to sit through nine ballet recitals? Can I drink? Sure. And not, And the best was I didn't even get to hear it. And then... Later that week, I heard a replay of it online, and I was thinking, okay, maybe my call wasn't as bad as, like, my wife is laughing hysterically. Maybe it wasn't as bad. She she doesn't know sports radio. I'm sure this wasn't so bad. Chris, after my Tasmanian Devil tirade, there was just like, because it all only took like 15 seconds. You were probably too drunk to text me that you were on the radio, because yeah. I would have grabbed it. There was five seconds of complete dead silence after I hung up, and Mike Shope just goes... Well, that is a thing that just happened. And Bulldog laughed hysterically. And then they talked about overconsumption at games. <laughs> still carrying the conversation. <laughs> it still carries a conversation. And I'd like to think that I'm good at I'm st- Chris, would you say that that's one of the things that drives our show is our ability to create conversation? Yeah, unfortunately. Despite blood alcohol content level? Yeah. It really is crazy that we've made it this far. And I I think one of the crazier things is that when you think about this podcast and just what this all is, what we're doing here, I mean, did you think in your 400 episodes of podcasting, did you think back in 2015 that we would ever be sitting here today? Think about where we started. I knew We we were just hoping to be relevant again. When we started this podcast, I knew and we, now, and I now, knew that we could do this because you and I have specific jobs within this arrangement of a podcast. I handle all of the production. If there's audio that you find on the internet and you want it played on the show, we need to clip this. I heard this in a press conference. I clip it. I listen to press. Co- I listen to. I don't really do it anymore. Like I couldn't listen to Bean's season-ending presser because they forgot to turn his microphone on. <laughs> so there's time. I will listen to every press conference and then anything that I think is relevant. The amount of work you do behind I, the scenes is yeah, re- it really is incredible. And I hope our listeners like give you their your due. So for there's that. there's times where I'm you know early on I'm listening to a whole Doug Whaley interview that's 45 minutes long, and I might not come out with anything of it. But I like technically I wasted forty five minutes. But you didn't. Li- but I didn't. It's exploratory. Because I'm trying to find audio that might be relevant for for you, and I'll email you audio and be like, hey, this sounds relevant. And then if you uh, agree with that, it's relevant, and you find a point within. We found our the roles. answer. We found our yeah. roles. You very host quickly. You host. You write it. All the topics come from you. I just make sure that we. That I well, don't just sound like an idiot. That it sounds good. I was going to say that we look good, but you can't look good ever. <laughs> that's like, unless we get, you know, with somebody in L.A. that's a plastic surgeon or maybe just an orthodontist to start. <laughs> my job is to make sure that this audio sounds great and that it is listenable. Because if this was you as a one man show. Oh, God. Like who we had on last night, Bruce Nolan. Yeah. 
No, yeah, I, you wouldn't I, be able to handle no, this. No, not at all. I do the production. You do all the top, the topic, writing out, planning. And the I show. have an incredible amount of respect for your role here. Let's not forget, like early but I've on. Also said this. Let's but, 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 not forget early on you getting drunk and then be like, "Let me, I'll, let me do this." You finish recording. <laughs> let me produce this. Yeah, let me, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I learned and, about 300 episodes ago. That's a bad idea. You would just me look at the at, wheel. I'm, I'm literally like an orangutan hitting one key at a time. Just do it. it. Do <laughs> Just it. do the thing. Do yeah. the thing. Chris, I think over 400 podcasts, when we started this, think sitting here, and it's fitting that this show is the AFC's roundup. When we started this show, we were just begging for relevancy again as a, as a fan base. And as people, we were just like, hey, let's try this new medium and see if it works. Let's see if we can make something out of this. Let's have some fun. Over that time frame, we've watched this team go from the laughing stock of the NFL to Super Bowl favorite, bona fide, legitimate NFL-wide Super Bowl favorite, one that every team in our division looks up at, every fan base in our division wishes they were closer to. And I think over the course of those six, seven years, not only have we gotten better at podcasting and the Bills have gotten better at football, even just as people, our lives have changed. You've gone from being some guy I knew because my girlfriend would force me to go out to have beers with her best friend and her boyfriend to legitimately one of my best friends. You were a groomsman at my wedding. You're someone that I just, I feel like our relationship has grown the same way this podcast has. To a business relationship. <laughs> I love how uncomfortable with emotions you are. I hate it. What I'll say is this. this these 400 podcasts have been one of the, maybe one of the most, I, I mean, yeah, I have a job. But these might be some of the most re re personally rewarding things. When I look at the friendships I've made the people we know, the experiences we've gotten to have because of this podcast, the the outlet that it gives us, both creatively, just emotionally. I'm just, we're, I'm incredibly grateful for 400 podcasts, and I'm looking forward to at least a few hundred more. Yeah. Next with, a with a Lombardi Parade edition thrown in there. Hopefully we get a Lombardi before 500. I'll drink to that. Hey, to another 400, sir. And to you guys, thank you for your support throughout the process. We wouldn't be where we are today without you guys. Right? A show needs listeners. Yeah. You guys have made this possible. You've made all of these things that we've done possible by supporting us and just coming out and meeting us, becoming friends making those relationships. I I can't wait to another four, five, six, seven years of this. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.